Hello, hello, hello. I am your Marsha P. Johnson, hostess with the most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, show you how to. Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Goosebumps. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back get comfortable carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you i could stay here forever carvana where car buying meets comfort meets convenience Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your host is with the most is moon, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was. Oh my god, that just cracked me up. <laughs> Yes, hey there, and welcome back, and welcome to the third and final installment of the In Yo Mouth Pride series. Have y'all been enjoying it? Oh my god, I, I've i gone back and listened to the episodes, and I'm really, really proud of them, especially the last one. Wasn't the last part two so good? Did it not make you want to go back and listen to the entire episodes? I mean... So, so good. And listen, this is no shade to any of my former guests. It was a really, really hard trying to pick and choose, you know, what clips to play or who to feature, you know? And it really was just me cycling through a whole, oh, a year's worth of episodes, actually, and just, you know, seeing what spoke to me. And... And that's just not to say that, like, these other people didn't have fabulous stories, because they do. Go back and listen to the episodes if you're new around here. Or if you know you you want a little extra foodie pride, you know, gay foodie pride, food gay pride, uh, buy the merch. And, <laughs> um, and just have all the feels, because I have been on a serious journey through my episodes, and it's just really, 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 really special and we're going to get to it in this third installment of the pride 
In Your Mouth series, the In Your Mouth Pride series. But I want to take a moment and say it's a beautiful day here in New York City. It's been warm. It's been beautiful. Yes, ma'am, we are here for all the summer vibes and the no clothes of it all. And the men in nylon shorts. Hello, nurse. And shout out to Montclair, New Jersey, by the way. Just went to Montclair Pride. Why do you ask? Because Betty Who and Jordy, if you haven't discovered Jordy, gay icon, right? New pop, cutie, patootie. I'm obsessed. I'm in love. They were like headlining uh, Montclair Pride and Montclair had its first Pride this year. So shout out to you. It was fabulous. We saw Peppermint. We had um, great Cuban food, delicious, delicious Cuban food at this massive restaurant. It was BYOB, completely worth it. And then we saw Jordi and uh, Betty Who, and there was another opener. Forgive me for forgetting who you were. They were equally as fabulous. Um, someone brought Justin Quackenbush, friend to the pod, a uh, designer of most of the merch, if not all but one piece. Um, we went, and it was amazing. And congrats on your first pride, Montclair, New Jersey. But let's get to the getting on, because I want to get to the good stuff of today, y'all. And there is a lot of good stuff. First and foremost, I need to wish you all out there happy National Lobster Day. Yes, lobster. I had the most delicious lobster cob salad from the frying pan here in New York City the other day. De-scrumptious. That's like the only lobster I've had of the season. Um, it's like a $38 salad. She ain't cheap. You know, you put the word lobster in it. She ain't cheap, especially in this city. But it was very, very, very delicious. But it was like lobster salad on top of a cob salad. And I know people have problems with like cheese and fish. I am not one of those people. And the blue cheese... The blue cheese was for some funky-ass blue cheese, honey. You know how blue cheese can be funky already? This was like the funkiest of blue cheeses, and I was here for it. But that's the only place I like my funk, okay? Oh, there in the dance floor. Do you want a funk? Yeah. I don't have the rights. <laughs> oh, my God. The local uh, fish market, yep near me here in Times Square slash Hell's Kitchen, New York City. Um, also was having a special on live lobsters I saw the other day. And I was like, do I need to cook lobster? And I don't know if I could do it because I hear they scream as you put them in the water. And that I don't know if I could handle it. I just don't know if I could handle it. And yeah, that's all I got. Lobster day. I lo I'm about to live my, you know, rich white lady fantasy doing what I do out there for my other job in this world. And traveling to all these fancy towns. So I'm sure I'll have a lot of lobster out there. And I'm really excited for it. But, like, you know, summer, you know, I have it a couple times. I love a good lobster roll, hot or cold. I'll take it both ways. Why? Because she's a verse queen, power verse. I'll let you know it is pride after all. <laughs> she is unhinged on this last day of the In Your Mouth Pride series. Faux reels, y'all. Faux reels. <laughs> well, no matter what you celebrate out there, whether it's National Lobster Day, uh, Verse Bottom Day, or 
I don't know, uh, Funky Blue Cheese Day, we celebrate you on this podcast. And moving right along to this day in gay history. Y'all, did you know that in 1987, the New York Times decides to allow its writers to use the word gay as an adjectival? Adjectival synonym for homosexual. I've never seen that word before. Adjectival. Adjectival. It's an adjective. Adjectival. Great. Hooked on phonics worked for me. Absolutely not. Um, An adjectival. I hope I'm saying that right. Synonym for homosexual. Look at that, right? Um, say gay, right? Uh, 1987, not that long ago. And did you know that also in 2011, the United States Department of Health and Human Services announces its first ever grant in the amount of $250,000 to create a resource center for LGBT political refugees. Hello, 2011. Oh, my God. I mean... 11 years ago, folks. You know, this is why we marched. This is why we got to keep fighting the good fight, right? Because we're still we're still dealing with these things and our history isn't that long ago. And I'm going to leave it at that because I am r- r- just rambling and who knows where the heat because I had to turn off the AC to record the podcast, obviously. And who knows where the heat and what else this, this summer vibes are going to take me on the pod today. But where it is going to take me is my first throwback guest, the one, the only, Cicely Sierra. Now, you may know Cicely Sierra from UPN's One on One, and she's an, a major chef these days. She's actually heading up a Juneteenth Pride event for New York City Pride, which you may see yours truly at this weekend if you're there. Um, Give me all the love. And if you don't like me and you see me there, my name is Bianca Del Rio. Um, (laughs) No, but I wanted to start with Cicely Sierra because she's been on the podcast twice in two very different ways. And I asked her about change, right? Because... You know, at the the first time she was on the podcast was pre-pandemic and a lot of things happened in her life and then the pandemic happened. And then the second time she was on the podcast, she was obviously in a very different place in life. And it got me thinking just, you know, we as queer people having to come out and deal with change, right? Uh, discovering ourselves beyond coming out and maybe even coming out again, right? Are just ever-evolving human beings. And yes, we are as human beings in general, are ever-evolving. But just we as queer people and we as, as, you know, just chameleons and unicorns and, and navigating life as always labeled as the other just got me thinking about change. And she has, she relays or imparts the most wonderful advice about dealing with change, going through change, and and what change was like for her. Take a listen. What your biggest lesson has been over the past two years, like, mm. through all this change? Um, I think it's funny. Well, I'll start with the lesson. When I was younger, when I was, like, feeling like I wanted, from going into acting and then feeling like transitioning out of acting to go into cooking, my mom used to always tell me, like, you do the thing you love until you don't love it anymore. And then you do the thing you love until you don't love it anymore. And it was like, I knew that 
outwardly to other people, this looks like I was doing it right and well. But inwardly, I knew that I was doing these things to live up to other people's standards and also to not be wrong, right? Like, and so I had to take a step back and be like, okay, who am I and where am I at in all of this? And I think it was hard because a lot of people who listened to that last episode or that original, the first one, I was in a relationship and it was like, I knew that, I knew for me, we had gotten to a point that it wasn't what I needed. It wasn't what I needed. And then out of that, I couldn't be the person that they needed. And I was so afraid to be wrong because I think our relationship was so out there that I was afraid to be wrong as a, as a mother of two daughters raising and bringing someone into, you know, being a single parent now in a relationship. I was didn't want to be wrong. I think having came out when I was 15 and deciding not to be fully out for a number of reasons of not wanting to be wrong and then that failing when I invested so much hope into it and so many things were attached to it. I had this fear of like, I didn't want to be wrong. I didn't want to let my children down, but I didn't want to let other people down that were like, this is so great. This is our opportunity to see us manifested in so many different spaces, but also I'm defined by my work. So if I, if I mess up something or I don't succeed at something, it means like I failed at everything. And so it was hard. And I was like, but I felt like I was losing so much of me. And I think to finally come to a place to be out or to find joy in a lot of different things, I began to like compromise who I was. And it, I was at war with myself a bit because I would be so intentional about telling your story, being true to who you are, creating the space for us to be whole and happy and thrive. And I was like miserable on the inside. And I was just like, I'm not, who am I to say all of these things if I can't even be and do that? I know. It's a a preacher heal thyself moment. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's like a, uh, it's a doctor take your own medicine moment, yes. right? Absolutely. But I think I think there's also a lot of pressure, and I mean, holy Barbara Walters of it all. Right? <laughs> and this is not what I ever set out to do on this podcast. But I think the pressure put on us, right? Us as people of color, right? Yeah. I get a, I I understand that I get a pass sometimes because my mother took out a lot of loans to send me to essentially white people's school, private mm-hmm. school, right? <laughs> and I am I am light skinned Latino, right? So like, I, I I understand that, but at the same time, there's a lot of pressure just put on us by the world and navigating that the space, right? Already, right, as people of color, already yeah. as queer people, already as a woman, yeah. right? And then and then you enter this food space, right, as already these things mm-hmm. that you never chose for yourself. Right. And then you got to fight something else, too. And so, yeah, of course, it's understandable. I don't want to be wrong in this space because I've been fighting all these things my entire life. Right. 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 And that's exactly what it was. And I had to sit with this moment and I was watching, 
I was doing another podcast. One on one? You were watching. Yeah. <laughs> you were watching yourself on the yeah, television. Yeah, I was watching me on TV. Um, and I realized no. I was watching these, like, white kids, these white men in tech talking about how they failed so many times at these businesses to, like, then do a business that became their big multi-million dollar thing. And it wasn't the multi-million dollar thing. It was the privilege of the perspective of failure, that, like, yeah. failure is a marker for success for them. And while for us, failures to your detriment, child. And so I had to be like, okay, so I need to shift my perspective of failure. I need to be okay with failing and learning and, and like, this idea that, like, I went into restaurants and was very intentional about creating a space for people of color to fail, that it was my opportunity to fail and and be okay with shedding those things and finding the collateral beauty in all of those things. And, and it was wild because once that started happening, like, not only was I happier, my children were happier, like, peace. The things, like, the things that I wanted out of life felt more obtainable and more tangible um and it it gave me hope back I mean there were some things that died like my business died in the process and all of these things but it brought me back to a place where I was like okay well what do I love what are what are the things that I love I need to be doing the things that I love and that's how I arrived you know at the sandwich ministry because my first restaurant was a sandwich shop and I was like I just remember graduating from culinary school and be like, I want to teach cooking. And then I did that. And so it's like, let me teach cooking and let me make sandwiches and like raise my children and really dig into the things for me, for my community, for my family. That really makes me happy. Months later, I am still processing this sound clip because you do the things you love till you don't love them anymore. And then you do the things you love. And then she goes on to be super vulnerable and talk about, you know, failure and being afraid to fail. And then not only as people of color, but then as queer people too, you know, the cards are stacked against us for the most part, especially depending where you live. And then there's all this added pressure, whether it's by family, work, whomever, friends, right, that you've you've made... You, you've proclaimed your queerness, you've come out, you've done this, and now it's just like, now I have to succeed because I I am put in this different box, even though there's no reason for me to be put in this different box. It's just like, yeah, you know? And for those of you Drag Race uh, fans out there, you know, that graduation episode, this isn't a spoiler, but, um, you know, Evie Oddly's speech was all about failure, right? And, And not being afraid to fail, right? And and finding those things you love. And it's actually, you know, going back, especially these three uh, episodes that I've just put together, you know, it's made me fall in love with the podcast again. You have to realize this is four years with barely a break, nonstop, for the most part self-produced, except for those first 80 episodes. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of and sometimes it's just like, oh, what, why am I doing this? And this is why I'm doing this. This is what reminds me of why I'm doing this, right? It's these moments. It's, it's, it's the truth telling. It's the storytelling. It's the insight. And someone else who has become such a good friend and, and such an inspiration, and they just slide into, my, slide into my messages, 
you know, on a random day, just sending me some love and and some inspiration and vice versa. And I love them so much is Chef Pink DeLongpre. And I ask Chef Pink about their journey, their journey of coming out and and the struggle and whatnot. And I just the story was really special and and we don't often hear again from trans people in the kitchen, trans especially trans non-binary people in the kitchen. And I just wanted to give them a voice again and and let you all hear the words and and just how how powerful it is to to take the power back yourself and do the thing you love. Take a listen to my good pal Chef Pink. You being out and proud and queer in the kitchen and then having to maybe come out again in the kitchen because of your journey. What has that been like for you? Um, so I think, you know, to to kind of, you know, everyone knows it's toxic. It's been toxic since day one. I think we've grown a lot, um, but it, we're still not there yet by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but as, as I came into kitchens, you know, being an AFAB person, it actually helped me to be queer because I could be one of the guys and I could, you know, make all the same jokes and like grab my dick in the kitchen. And like, I think it kind of helped me in the beginning. Um, but I was also in big cities, you know, I wasn't in a small town where it wasn't okay to be who I was. Um, but you know, that, that grew old pretty quickly. Um, and kind of learning how to set boundaries, um, is very very hard in a kitchen um, until you're it's, uh, like yeah almost like, impossible it is, yeah. and, unless you're running it you, you know, can't you can't build the culture that you want to build um, you can do your best but I never found any success until I was actually in charge um, and when I did it was everyone respected everyone you know I always said nobody works for me we all work together and the dishwasher has more respect than I do and if you don't give it to him get the fuck out of my restaurant. Um, so, you know, gender and um, sexuality kind of never really, like, I never acknowledged it in my younger years just because I didn't have time. Like, I couldn't, I was working too hard. I was getting screamed at all the time. I was getting hit, burned, all that shit. And so if I could just make it through every day, like, my my own personal journey was totally on the back burner. And it really wasn't until um, a few years ago after my two restaurants closed that, you know, I said, this is this is time for me to be me. Like, I am 40 years old. Like, what the fuck am I waiting for? Like, who am I still trying to, like, hide from? And, and it's still, you know, coming out um, as a trans non-binary person in the kitchen is really really hard because the understanding of it is is so low and there's there's just this antiquated rhetoric around you know being trans and especially what non-binary is and having a pronoun of they them and having to go through the whole grammar bullshit argument and um you know even recently as i said i've been traveling and i was in i was in a state which shall not be named um which is aggressively against trans children right now. And um, the people that I was working for were like, 
oh, she, her, whatever. You don't care, do you? And it's just like, hmm. Like, yeah, actually I do. And then it's ma'am, sir, or whatever. And it's just like those little acts of aggression that they see to not have a problem with, you go home and you're like, fuck, where are we? You know, where are we now? So I don't know. You know, the journey, I don't think we'll will end being an uphill battle anytime in my chef generation. Um, but I do have hope, you know, there's so much visibility now that with that there comes acceptance. There also comes a lot of pushback, but you know, we have so yeah. much more than, than, you know, I did when I was a kid. It was, it wasn't there at all, you know? And once again, it's happened unbeknownst to me in the sense of, you know, I picked these clips because these clips really spoke to me and really moved me second time, third time around because I listened to this thing a lot, especially when I edit it. But I didn't really think of the through line. And obviously, this one's all about the journey, right? The journey, the come through, the come up, the the choosing the thing you love, Cicely Sierra, you know, as opposed to being in this situation where it's just like, well, this is really shitty. I don't want to do this anymore. This is no fun. And choosing the thing you love and moving forward and and doing it not only for you, but for the community around you. And before I cut out to the break, because a, a girl needs a glass of water here, I want to throw back to the one and only Michael Twitty, a uh, spiritual guide, um, uh a personification of the ancestors, a sister, a friend, a supporter, one of my biggest cheerleaders um, and whom I love so much. And and his words about his journey. Just take a listen to, to this. There I was, openly gay, black male in the D.C. area dealing with all the issues, all the stuff. And some of it was slow roll. It wasn't an immediate sort of like catastrophe. And some of it was, you know, I I had it lucky. I mean, I'm here. I didn't lose nothing. I didn't get into any fights. I stood my ground as a queer youth. I also had issues of invisibility, et cetera, but I'm still here. But can you, I mean, just, just, just thinking about what you just said, like, what does that sound like to you? What does that feel like to hear that back? I just, I just look at all these young folks out here, especially queer creatives, and I'm just telling them, the reason why I do what I do isn't for adulation. It's not for validation. It's because you constantly get told, and there's no room for you. And I want you all to understand that there is absolutely room for you. Everybody has a story that's important to tell and to be heard, and stories about others that they want to tell that are important to be heard and to be seen. And I think we, both you and me, are living proof that it's not about it's not about waiting for somebody else to tell your story or refuge. It's about doing what you gotta do to tell that story for yourself and for your people. And that's just what that's just what we do. We just we represent, we go out there, we, we sachet, we get our tens, we take the prize home. I need y'all to rewind this cassette tape. Yep, cassette tape, and listen to that again. You know, we sachet, we collect our tens, and we take the prize home. And he is a living embodiment of why I do what I do, too. It's, you know, it's because there wasn't space. There wasn't space. It's why Chef Pink does, uh, does what they do, like, because there wasn't space. It's what Cicely Sierra, it's why Cicely Sierra had to, like, pivot and move, because, like, they're just, it's creating space, creating space for yourself, creating space for others. And it's really 
it's it's been my entire food journey and it's why I'm here talking into the ethos right now. You know what I mean? Oh, it's so good. Listen, I'm going to take a quick break. You know, maybe insert an ad so I can make three cents because I tell you I make three cents. And I'll be back to wrap this Pride series up in a really fabulous way. And, oh, my God, you all are not ready for my final Pride guest. Oh, my Pride Week guest. It's so good. I'm not going to tell you. No spoilers. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, welcome back. So you've heard over the past two weeks a lot of me asking people about queer food. What What's their definition of gay food? How do they define queer food? And that was actually all started by Michael Twitty himself. Because when we got into the talks of him coming on the pod and then we met and then... You know, the journey, our journey together happened. One of the things he was really excited about coming on this platform to talk about was queer food. And it's something I never thought about or gave an ounce of thought to till he brought it up. And I got the chance to ask a whole lot of people about it, obviously, before he even came on the pod. And it was so special when he actually finally made it on the podcast to talk about it. So without further ado, here is the entire reason I started down a journey of asking people about queer food. Listen, way back when, when you agreed to come on the podcast, one of my favorite things that you like said to me was you wanted to talk about like gay food, queer food. So yes. what, what about food is inherently gay or not? Or, or should I ask like, what makes food gay? I was happy. I'm, I'm happy you asked that because I was thinking about this today even. I remember going to this presentation I did at uh, UNC um, in, in Asheville, North Carolina. And this, I don't know if he was asking it to be provocative or, or, or whether he was annoyed. And he says, well, gay. What makes food gay? What's gay about food? Why you gotta be, why you gotta be gay? And um, I'm, pro- I'm probably putting, putting a little bit more nay-nay in it because he was not a nay-nay person. And I was really surprised that I was able to like kill that answer because first of all, I was like, "Wait a minute, hold up." The the first problem is you don't see how heterosexualized food is. I said, "Y'all be running around sending chocolates on Valentine's Day. You eat oysters to be virile. You associate certain foods with certain parts of heteronormative intercourse. You, you know, you." You make a big deal out of a woman being able to maintain her man by her cooking. You also make a big deal out of a man being able to make three good meals a year to go to the pet store. Excuse my excuse my language. And, yeah. and like y'all do that, but y'all do that. Y'all, you have these sexualized associations with food. You also use food to communicate ideas about the traditional family um, that are that are you know the idea of passing down recipes is like the idea of passing down genes. I mean, all of that's inherently baked into the culture. So people don't understand when you say gay food. Okay, so let's go, let's go do the reverse. So first of all, there was this incredible book that my ex had that the ex guy I didn't get in the in the divorce. And it was this book about 
Hospitality. It had it was from 1960 something. We got to find this book. There's a whole chapter on gay men. And what I remember of this was the 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 writer of the book says, you know, they're the best cooks. They're the best. They make the best appetizers and cocktails. But don't trust them with your business. <laughs> you know, like literally goes in this dummy deep dive detail in how to navigate having gay male friends. This is like before Stonewall, you know, and it's and it was interesting because I just thought, okay, there's so many tropes in here. But this idea that we are the esthetes of, of, of food, there's something about us. And we have often shrank back from that. You know, I think a lot of straight chefs in the restaurant world and culture, they go, they try to go real hard to prove that they're not us. It's very interesting. They want to have, they want to, they want to ape like they have our perspective, but they don't want to be us. And I think it's very, it's very compatible and very comparable to people who want to be black, brown, indigenous, Asian, but they don't want, but they don't want to live in blues. And as far as I'm concerned, I think both of us come from a world where, you know, the kitchen was, first of all, a, a, a safeguard place for a lot of Jewish men, for a lot of Latin men, for a lot of uh, Afro-descendant, African-descended um, men, a, a lot of Filipino men. I've noticed that the, 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 the refrain comes up of grandma or mother or somebody or gay male elder was in the kitchen I went to the kitchen for protection. I went to the kitchen because I didn't get beat up like in the playground. I didn't get questioned. I could be useful. I could be helpful. I could learn to be grown. I also, like you and me, both of us, our mothers were like, you better get on in there and do them dishes. You better get on there and walk my up that floor. You better, I was horrible at it. But you better get on there and do, you know, that kind of work. But also, the same, in that same space, we were also making the sofrito, right? We were also doing these other things. And it was a place where we could be and I and I know that I'm speaking in very gay male terms at the moment, and I everybody else that's not a that's no no diss no tea no shades was what I know. I'll yeah, but that, that. I mean, but that's the question here. Yes, and that's what I that's what I know. But I, I remember that that was a place where you could actually express and be different and take on these quote unquote traditionally female, which they weren't always roles roles and things. And of course, you were in the middle of of part of, uh, for a lot of us, part of a culture that crossed gender lines. You know, if you were in that kitchen when your grandmother and sister were in that kitchen, you you heard people, human beings, talk in your family in very different ways than when you were around the male folks in your family. I mean, we were we were atypical in a lot of ways, but I but we still had those those things. So the the kibitzy, semi gossipy. I, I want to gossip, but you heard it from me. Kind of culture that you know people here in the in our that let, where does that come from? It comes from being in these kitchen spaces, you know. And there were no male aprons when we were growing up. Little, no. We were little. There were no. There was no. No, you you literally had to like it was your first openly acceptable cross dress. Oh wow! I actually never thought about that. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. You yeah, know, I mean, that, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, absolutely. But um, anytime we were in the kitchen, especially like when it's like holiday season and you're making like labor intensive foods that like, you know, right. you you make a ton of like pasteles or something or coquito mm-hmm. that you make a ton of and freeze right for the year. Um, it was always like old T-shirts, you know, things you didn't care about, things that were torn and ripped, you know, and it was just and like when you were a little boy, what they do? They put that old 
the old girl grandma apron on you. Yeah. And you did a spin. <laughs> I always had the blanket around me, right? Doing, <laughs> love it. Doing, but we are living in a material world. I was obsessed. See, see. But to me, this is this is what it is. And also, I think gay food is. You know, I remember. I remember every single time when someone made me a meal to impress, or I made someone a meal to impress. And I guess impress also includes, you know, um, the, the after party, you know, as well. But that's the thing. If you, if if my food is so good that I get the after party, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Then obviously, obviously my whole being, my whole identity is going into that plate. You know, I'm thinking about a lot of things. We, we as gay men, talk a lot about top food versus bottom food, which, you know, I don't really understand because I'm not... I'm only on one side of the fence in that. And and there's also this whole idea. That's very um, real though, Michael Drake. <laughs> yes. That's I very don't, real. I, my husband reminds me of that. That's and I'm very just real like, because oh, okay. when I was a young when I was a young warthog, um <laughs> my friends used to make fun of me and be like, and I'm about to get crass in your mouth, listeners, but my friends in my early Twinkie Michael Munoz used to be out there eating Indian food and they'd be like, oh, Michael Munoz will go eat Indian food and then go get his ass ate, you know? <laughs> uh, right? And then they'd be like, you can't be doing that. And I was like, why? Well, and that's, and that's it. That's it. These are things that reveal themselves over time. These are things that reveal themselves over time. I mean, I feel like that has has encompassed my entire food journey, but especially my entire journey on this podcast with all these fabulous people, you know, just entrusting me with their stories, entrusting me with, you know, with their coming out stories and and really being vulnerable with me and and giving of not only of their time but of their of their spirits of their queerness of their of their souls you know and it's just so special and i can't thank each and every one of them enough before we close out i just kind of want to leave you on an up note and you know master baker Javon coley and also neuroscientist what the hell, was on the pod talking about, you know, just being a representative out there, not only as a queer person, but also as a Sikh man. And he, his episode was so special. And he, sh- he shares this story about creating a pride turban and getting noticed by President Obama. And it's just like a feel-good story that I, that I really love and that I'll sometimes go back and listen to. So I just wanted to share that with you before we closed out. Um, so there was this thing that happened on the interwebs, as you said. Uh, I had posted a picture for Pride Month um, of me in a turban that I had sort of designed myself to have a, a rainbow design going across one side. So I call it my Pride turban. Um and so I, I just wrote like a, a little pride message on, on Twitter and tweeted that out into the universe. And it turned out that uh, much more than I had anticipated, people were uh, excited about this. <laughs> uh, so it started sort of doing the numbers and um, going 
going a little bit viral. And then in that process, I got a very, very special message from President Obama. Uh, he retweeted it with some very lovely words. And of course, that um, well, it didn't uh, help with the viral situation. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that led to this sort of summer of... Um, interviews and, and messages from people, again, which is really connecting with, with what they saw in me and our shared aspects of our identity. Um, and it, it's a, another one of those things where I'm just like, wow, that was a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> kind of, it seems like I've had uh, more than my fair share of these. <laughs> I can't say it enough. Our journeys matter. Your journey matters. Our stories matter. We matter representation matters, right? We need to be seen. We need to be seen as people of color out there in the food industry. We need to be seen as trans people out there in the food community. We need to be seen as queer people, LGBTQ people out there in the food community because people have stories to tell. And this podcast is a testament to that. With that, I'm going to say happy pride, y'all. Happy MF. Pride. If you haven't gotten into the Pride merch, you may get it before Pride. I doubt it, but, you know, there's always a possibility. The company that uh, prints to order my stuff is really great, so they've wowed me before. And if not, get it for, you know, after Pride. Pride 365. Go to com forward slash mouth merch. And as I've been saying every week, uh, all proceeds are going to go to the Ali Fournay Center, which help LGBT homeless youth, um, you know, fight inequalities and get them the help they need. Y'all, you're not ready for next week's special Pride guest. You are not ready for next week's guest. I mean, it's a big one. P perhaps the biggest. I mean, at least social media biggest I've had, I think. I don't know. It's big. Like, bigly big. Yep, I said the word bigly. <laughs> Listen, before we actually close out, I want to leave you with some wise words of, you know, the secret of coming through, you know, and keeping going from Chef Pink, right? So that's how I'm going to end. But I need to say, stay safe out there. You know, keep an eye out on each other. Pride responsibly, you know. Drink your water. Take care of each other. Please keep your eyes open. Uh, shit is crazy out there, y'all. Please keep your eyes open. And take it away, Chef Pink. Give us the last words of inspiration on coming through and coming up. What sparks you to keep going then? What sparks you? What sparks that joy that helps you push through? <sighs> so, and I'm push like... through <laughs> as, as, as you... As you th uh, gather your thoughts and push through, maybe, maybe the wrong, the wrong word, you know, the wrong phrase, because maybe you're not pushing through. But what's like, what keeps you going? Basically, is what I'm asking. What keeps uh, you going? Mezcal, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's get real. <laughs> Happy Pride, y'all, and thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth.
Jesus promised. <laughs>